0: Thank you, Ken. Appreciate those words of encouragement. Yeah, that's what I told her. I said, we know the recipe. We'll stick with the boys. Well, <laughs> it depends on what stage, I guess. Uh, this morning, yeah, they probably don't get in as much stuff when they're younger. <laughs> uh, we're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 5. <coughs> and we'll we'll start in verse 17 when you may remember. Some of you may not, and that you may be thankful that you don't remember when I was first preaching. One of the things that I really enjoyed doing was looking at the... Uh, Old Testament uh, accounts. Especially those that we cherry pick. And put into children's books. And I I like to go back through them. And we did so for a long time. Uh, And we looked uh, much deeper than. What the average commentary. Or what the average storybook. uh, Could reveal to us. uh, Because they were spiritual things. And uh, this morning. As I considered over the past few weeks several passages from luke and we've gone through some of them uh, it just stuck out in my my mind this week how how awesome this account is and it's not uh, an awesome account because a man who was paralyzed was healed uh, but there's much more to it and it speaks to us uh, both about uh, the person of christ and his humanity and in his deity uh, but it, it speaks as well to us A lot about salvation. So I want to begin there in verse 17. We'll read and then we'll pray. And then we'll come back to the text. It says, One day he was teaching and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there. Who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. And some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed. They were trying to bring him in. And to set him down in front of him, but not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, friends, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, Get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic man, I say to you, Get up and pick up your stretcher and go home. Immediately, He got up before them and he picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. They were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God and they were filled with fear saying, We have seen remarkable things today. After that, he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth and he said to him, Follow me and he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him let's pray most gracious heavenly father uh, as we meet this morning uh, to exalt thy son in his name lord to lift up high the name of jesus the christ lord and to uh, find ourselves in amazement over your glory lord to recognize the great work that you have done upon the cross lord to see that from before the foundation of the earth that you have prepared for us sinful creation, O God, a Savior who is able to take away the sin of the world, we come this morning when we offer our worship. We also ask of you that your mercies and your grace be abundant as we open the word, Lord, and seek to see the things that the natural man cannot comprehend. Lord, to see the subtleties of the text that tell us about an eternal Savior that speak to us about His eternal life or those things that declare that sin carries with it the wages that are death, but that the power of the blood of Christ is life. Lord, we pray that uh, He would properly receive all the acknowledgment or the glory, the honor that is due His name, or that men everywhere will praise Him, or that even the crowds of the unbelieving world would this day hear the name of Christ and either repent and believe, Lord, or be condemned by He who is before us. Lord, for we know that His will is good, God, that Your will is perfect. Lord, and we should never ask, why is this man or that man not saved? The only question we may ask is, why, Lord, have you been so gracious to save any? And, Lord, for that reason, uh, the answer must cause us to worship. Lord, we thank you for this day, the opportunity to fellowship together. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would bless us in the reading and the consideration of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to begin here with... uh, the background was we want to focus primarily on on verse 20 as where uh, some wonderful things are happening but uh, we see soon after uh, an account that is recalled in uh, Matthew chapter 8 and Mark chapter 1 and here of course in Luke chapter 5 there's a, a leper that was cleansed and this seems uh, pretty miraculous right a man that it would be unclean is now clean because uh, of the word and the person of Christ and now we're moving in in a chronological sense uh, to a period in which uh, a man who may even be worse off than a leper is presented before Jesus and it says one day he was teaching there teaching and there were excuse me some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there so we first ask ourselves with verse 17 what is jesus doing it's important for us to ask this question it's important to ask this question because the text of scripture could have named every little thing that jesus was doing that day we we see in some scripture there's great detail given to certain circumstances uh, such as those uh, running uh, after the burial of christ and we see one disciple was faster than the other and Uh, It's interesting that we have those details. They really don't tell us anything uh, miraculously spiritual, but they do tell us about some excitement of men. And here, uh, it is no different. There is uh, some detail being given as to what Christ is doing, and it is purposeful that we see this. Uh, We could have been told uh, many details of what Christ was doing, what he was wearing, where he was sitting, uh, how long he had been there, uh, people had met him or greeted him. and We're not given any of those details, but we are told something wonderful. We're told that this particular day, Jesus was present and he was teaching. Interestingly enough, as we ask the question so many times as Christians, what is the will of God? The will of God at this point was for Jesus to teach. Notice uh, when one is teaching sometimes, hopefully most oftentimes, what is being taught uh, is not already known to the great extent. Uh, I would say that such is true with this passage. Jesus was teaching because there was a lack of knowledge. There was a lack of knowledge, and it is depicted in the group of people who are present before Jesus is teaching. Now, what we understand is Jesus is here He's here uh, according to the appointment that God the Father has set before him according to the will of God that on this day in this particular place and these particular people being present he was going to teach. And we know what Jesus taught. He did not teach simply morality. Uh, He did not teach simply what is good. But Jesus taught the perfect righteousness of God. The very thing that Uh, most modern day professors forget about professors of uh, believing in christ professors of christianity we talk about what we must do what christ can give us but oftentimes we do not preach the goodness and the righteousness of god without many other details here we know that this is what christ was teaching he was teaching that uh, to know the father you must know the son to know the son means that you know the father to Uh, have one is to have both to have either is to have righteousness which you cannot gain anywhere else and it says here in the presence of his teaching there were pharisees and teachers of the law notice that it didn't say that these were teachers though they aren't say that these were teachers of religion why because the it, it would be sort of incorrect for them uh to be considered teachers of true religion as uh, we would come to know it. They were teachers of morality. They were teachers of, of cultural givings, uh, cultural acceptance. They are teachers of many things. But without knowing Christ, they could not be true teachers of righteousness. Here was the lacking in the crowd. Here some Pharisees and teachers of the law. It really reveals to us what man has trusted in. And the reason for Christ's coming is he's going to teach us something that we do not understand. He's not going to teach us about the law because there is no righteousness and there is no salvation in the law. He's not going to teach us simply to be religious because, again, there is no salvation in what we call religion. There is only salvation in a name, and that name is Christ. Here he is presented as teaching and it says these men were all sitting here, present at the teaching. Who was Jesus teaching? Religious men. What was also interesting is that, according to the will of God, the messenger, the Christ, has been present in this particular place. And we're told that they had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. Why was this? Well, it was simply uh, because this man, this God in the flesh, Jesus, was teaching. And the reality is that uh, what was being taught necessarily was not drawing people here. Uh, Friends inviting folks were not drawing people here. Uh, Good music was not drawing people here. It was the Lord himself. Jesus had drawn this crowd crowds were coming at the name of christ jesus was doing what he said that he would always do and what we understand from many texts of scriptures that jesus would often speak uh in regards to things that have yet had yet to happen as if they had already one of the things that we talked about just last week was jesus said if I am lifted up. I'll draw all men to myself. And here is a a spiritual foreshadow of that truth. Jesus drawing men to himself. Not programs, not singing, not the church giving away gas cards or four-wheelers or any of those number of things that we've all seen. But Jesus was present, and that was enough to draw a crowd. Now, that is not to insinuate that all of these were saved. Yet nevertheless, Jesus had drawn at this time a great crowd from all over. These men had sat down and set aside the things that were going on to come and hear this man whom they were yet to know was truly the Christ. And it says, not only was he teaching and these men coming from everywhere, it says that the power of the Lord was present for him to perform a healing. A very great consideration uh, of what was happening here. The power of the Lord was present. This insinuates that not always was the power of the Lord present with Jesus to perform miracles. This should not distract us from Jesus and his person. It should not take away from the person of Christ. In fact, it should solidify for us the truths of Scripture as they revealed to us that Jesus had set aside certain particular glories, certain particular aspects of his being very God before the foundation of the earth, in order that he may condescend as man, and that he may come as man and live as man, yet without sin and be lifted up as man and die as the perfect sacrifice of God who would take away the sin of the world. Yet here it is depicted that the power of the Lord is present because Jesus has willingly set aside those things to come unto his own, yet even they would receive him not. And so here we have... Uh, the beginnings of what we know to be a foundational principle about this Christ coming in the flesh, condescending, setting aside, though being equal with God, not simply desiring to have those things again and to leave man to his own device. He was coming to save whatever the cost may be. And here is a picture of Jesus who was doing just that. And it was present, The power of the Lord for a particular purpose, it says, for him to perform healing. Now notice this, that if an apostle, as we read the Acts of the Apostles, uh, was going around and performing healing, they would accredit the healing to the Lord your God, right? They would never say, on my own power I have. Here we have a glimpse of a Jesus who is truly God and truly man because it says here that the presence of the Lord was there it was present for him to perform healing the reality is though it be the power of God that is healing it is the power of God that rightly belongs to Christ that is healing here it is not uh in one sense though it is it is not God who is healing through Jesus the reality is that Jesus being very God has uh the power within himself at this point to perform the healing he will be accredited with the healing he will be uh, recognized from this point forward as the man who is healed no one would ever say that uh, of an apostle we would recognize uh, from any man that had ever been healed unless it be that he be healed of jesus we would say that god used him to heal In this particular passage yet uh, the power was present for him to perform healing but uh, as we reveal that that is the purpose of the power being present uh, it is not the ultimate purpose. The ultimate purpose was not simply to heal a man of his uh, physical infirmities. And if we read this passage, as many do, uh, and simply see that, we have failed to miss uh, the very presence of the Son of God. We have missed the very details that depict for us what it is like to be saved for eternity. This man was Saved from his uh, paralysis for but a temporal time. And we know that the man, like all men, must again die. Therefore, the healing was temporal. He was not uh, permanently delivered to mobility. For the body would die again. It would be rendered immobile. And it would go to the grave. And we would simply just see this as we often do or often have as a story about jesus 's power, and we would be limited to see that this power was effectual to the grave, but what we are to see this morning is that the power of Christ is not limited uh, in effectuality simply to the death of the mortal body, but it is effectual into eternity. Here it says the power of war was present with uh, for him to perform healing, and some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed now this is uh, as we often miss uh, misappropriate our attention in the text this is not only about jesus healing this is also a model for the church consider what was happening here uh, the purpose of this power is revealed in the text that we're reminded that god's will is to be done on this very day the presence of the power is is given and bestowed upon Christ in this particular situation for a particular purpose, and that is that God's will is being done. Not that a man will simply be healed from paralysis, but that God's will will be done. What is God's will? God's will is that um, man would glorify him. How will that happen if man is to die? Well, this is going to speak to us about the eternal life that God gives through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to the salvation of the saints, because they will glorify him forever. And what we begin to see is this can't simply end with a paralytic, man, a paralytic man being able to walk, but it must end with no ending. That is to say that it must end with eternal glory given to God in Christ. This is God's will being done. Men here, the the picture that we must see as the church is that men here are carrying this paralyzed man on a bed, on a platform, a stretcher as it is called. These men were concerned for this paralyzed man. And as we consider that these men uh, are concerned about this paralyzed fellow man We're not even really told that they were friends. We don't know the relationship. None of that is given. And I believe it is not left out simply by chance, but I believe it is left out so that we may not pick and choose who we are serving as Christians, who the church is concerned with. Because if it says they were were friends, we would simply say, well, our duty is to be concerned with our friends. If it was neighbors, immediate neighbors, we would say, well, to be concerned with the people on our block here we're not given any detail and I believe that it is it is so because we are to be given into the care of God's creation of humanity first and foremost these men are concerned about their fellow man and it is not recorded uh, and we per- pretty much know from the response of these religious men, that it's not a Sabbath day because we know when the Lord is healing on the Sabbath day, that's the first thing that they like to bring up. So we're not given any indication that this is a Sabbath day. This also is an important detail. You ask why? Well, because we know that the the people of this time, though there, are, I'm sure, were uh, many, uh, a- as we can tell from the Old Testament, there were many who weren't given to working daily. Typically, if these men were devout Uh, worshipers then we could uh, sort of assess from the text and from our, our knowledge of the culture that these men would be working men right they would be working as the bible would declare they were lawful men they would be working six days and they would be busy doing just that yet this is not recorded as a sabbath day and i believe it's important because it appears that this would be a normal day in which one should work It would be a normal day in which one should be concerned for his estate, should be sweating uh, by his brow that the Lord would provide the increase to the work of his hands. Yet what are these men doing? Well, they're concerned for one another. They set aside the work, the very thing that uh, they recognize that the Lord will bless to provide for them. We understand that they knew that if they were working, that the Lord would provide through the fruitfulness of, Uh, of their hands yet they would set aside these things knowing that they had many needs they needed food they needed shelter uh, they needed money if you would to buy certain things they set their needs aside that they would uh, be concerned for their fellow man and carry him before this man that they had heard of named jesus this is a normal day in one sense but as we'll soon find out it was not the typical normal day men that are regarded here as carrying this uh, paralyzed man were not at this point concerned for themselves and they were not working for themselves but what they did not know is that they were working for the Lord we have no indication that these men up until this point uh, had truly believed that this is Jesus who is also the Christ yet what we do recognize is that Through this entire passage, the will of God is is sort of the overarching theme that we are seeing in which everything will occur. Jesus uh, is here. He's preaching. He's teaching. The power of the Lord to heal has come over him. These men have set aside their daily tasks. They have taken upon themselves the burden of a paralyzed man, and they are not serving simply this man, though that's probably how they felt. We're taking this man, and we're going to see if this Jesus can heal him. But in all actuality, these men were doing what God had willed without ever knowing. Maybe to some degree they did, but not to the degree in which they will soon find out. Uh, here is, again, a normal day that is unlike any other normal day, especially for the man on the cot. Another thing that we see is not only were these men uh, doing something, they weren't, they weren't just giving this guy a ride. They weren't just dropping him off. They weren't just a a shuttle bus to to church. They were making sure uh, that they would take the burden of this man's weight and they would take him as far as they needed to. And I I don't know if you guys have ever watched some of these shows. One of the ones I've seen before that just comes to mind is this My 600-pound Life and they have to get these stretchers and it takes a great deal of men to move someone who's immobile out of a house and and that seems terrible and then i sit here and think as as heavy as a weight that may be four or five six hundred pounds to lift a man who cannot lift himself or a woman they take them to an ambulance fire truck whatever it is and they set them down these men didn't have a car these men didn't have uh, wheels or an engine Uh, what we know is they they traveled, and you can imagine if we had to carry just one person from this church to the mailbox, we'd be in trouble. Not many men here who are used to that kind of exercise and the ones who are injured today and we're old, and we don't we're not accustomed to doing these things we're not accustomed to being concerned, but these men have taken upon themselves the burden of this man's body and enough in their very presence in bringing such a paralyzed man before Jesus, they have, without a word, condemned the Pharisees and Sadducees. Remember what uh, what was said to them. You, you place on these people a heavy burden, and you don't even lift a finger to help. Yet here before them are those who are lifting many fingers uh, and working many muscles that they may help their fellow man as best that they know how. Here they are. Uh, being a very condemnation to the Pharisees and Sadducees who are present at Jesus' teaching and being concerned so much for one another that they set aside those things uh, that they would normally do for themselves so that they may take on themselves uh, a great heavy yoke to bring this man before Jesus. And we're just getting really started here. Here's Jesus ready to heal. Here's a great crowd, a great many people. and, And It's terrible, I guess, in some ways to see it this way. But I almost think of it because this is how it works out. Jesus could have healed anybody in the crowd. But it's almost like a lottery, so to speak. Jesus had the power and was able to heal on this day. Who's it going to be? This one man, paralyzed. And they were trying to bring him in and set him down in front of Jesus. I wonder sometimes if they thought, listen, if Jesus sees this guy, And he's going to perform a miracle today. This will be the guy he wants to heal. This guy's worse off than anybody here. We've had to carry him in. And then what we begin to notice is that the crowd is obstructing the ability to find the Christ. Again, this is an important learning point for the church. We must be very careful that we are not simply a crowd of worldly people preventing others from coming into the presence of God. What we know is that the will of God is so powerful that not even man is able to stop another man from knowing the Christ. Yet uh, we are also, uh, as we understand the sovereignty of God, we are fully accountable for our actions. If we would cause one to stumble, we are fully accountable. At the same time, God is glorious and God is merciful and God is gracious that he will not lose one. And we begin to see the very uh, essence of, of those uh, scriptures and the the ideas contained in them, presented as we look at verse eighteen, they're trying to bring him in, wanted to set him down in front of Jesus. What could they do? Not much they could do. They couldn't get past the crowd. These men were looking at Jesus for uh, this crowd, uh, for what the crowds had always looked to Jesus for: for fish, loaves, for what he could do not for what he was going to do on the cross into eternity, but what he could do in the temporal. And for that reason, they were preventing, uh, so it seems, this man from being able to come. What also do we see here? It's not really detailed in many words, but these men were bringing this paralyzed man, taking upon themselves uh, this great heavy load missing out on the day's work and whatever it could provide because they believed something would or could happen. Something inside these men had declared that uh, this task was worth taking on. And what we begin to see is that there's evidence here that these uh, these men, to some extent, were believing and wanted to be in the presence of this man, Jesus. And they wanted to take this guy who was not, not declared to be their friend or their neighbor well like i said we don't know but they wanted to take this man before this jesus they thought something could happen they had heard he had been preaching people were gathering there was a reason for this and now again we see the will of god that some would believe so much even Consider this if the paralyzed man didn't want to go before Jesus, he was paralyzed. He couldn't stop him. God was so gracious that no matter what the circumstance was, he had provision that these men would carry this man and present him before the Christ. Another revelation of the will of God. that should speak volumes to the church as we continue, is that he did not allow the man access on his own to Jesus. This man is speaking to us about a great spiritual truth. He could not present himself before the Christ. On his own power and merit and knowledge, he could not get to God in Christ. He was relying on, on someone else he could not do it and to a greater spiritual degree he could not rely on any man to bring him here John is very clear in this first chapter verses 11 through 13 that it is not with man or his abilities or his blood or his lineage or his will to follow the Christ or to believe It is granted him. It's a grace of God. Here again, we see the will of God and that he does not allow, uh, as this is foreshadowing the truth of salvation, he is not allowing man access to this Christ of his own volition or his own ability. He cannot come walking up to the great Savior. Now, another great truth is also revealed about God's will. The man is not able to walk before Jesus and the other men are not able to bring him there. The reality is, in some degree, they are not even able to make it through the crowds to walk in easily. What we begin to see is that the will of God is such that he has prevented uh, this healing from being anything easy. It cannot be anything short of miraculous. Yet these men were granted so much belief that Jesus was able that they would take the burden and they would uh, it would be magnified and that they would have to go to the roof. They'd have to go to the top. Can you imagine? I'd be scared to death, paralyzed or not. You c- couldn't even feel it if you fell, really, I would imagine, unless you land on your head. And yet I would be scared to death that I would fall, especially with some of the people I know carrying me. They don't even do well with groceries especially hey if i had to have charlie imagine how many times he's fallen lately we'd be in trouble right here's the will of god that is preventing all of these things that we would never try that we would be so fearful of and these men are taking him to this rooftop and it says but not finding any way to bring him in that is a that's a spiritual truth not finding any way you cannot find the way i cannot find the way though i may preach the way that being the christ from the gospel uh, according to jesus himself from genesis to uh, revelation the reality is that we cannot find the way they found no way so the crowd had obstructed them And the crowd was preventing a man who really needed this Jesus. And so they went up on the roof and they let him down through the tiles with his stretcher. They let the whole bed down before Jesus. It says it was in the middle of the crowd and in front of Jesus. Now I would submit to you that these are not simply strong men. uh, That these are not just men bent on getting this guy before Jesus. This was the will of God. The crowd is coming in one way, and the one who is to be healed is coming in altogether a different way. Notice how he is brought in. He is lowered. This is not just a simple uh, a simple detail that is to be seen as temporal. I believe that it is, spiritually speaking, of the condition of the man that must be brought before Christ. He must be lowered. He must consider himself very lowly in that he cannot access jesus on his own ability he must himself become lower he must be humbled he must be broken he must be believing as we see in the text and now again the will of god is seen on the move god has stricken out all the possibilities of this man coming in from doors and windows and through crowds we're going to have to find something that nobody else could come up with. There has to be a plan that will just be so almost impossible that it's unbelievable. No access. And yet, in that, we have another picture of a Christ who is humbled. A Christ made a little lower than the angels. Yet, Hebrews declares, having a name greater than they. And here's a picture of salvation in a picture of salvation. A man being humbled and lowered before the very Christ who himself became lower, condescended as a man. As we see this power coming upon him, things that he had set aside in order that he may uh, truly be the Lamb of God, who according to the will of God would go to the cross and drink down this bitter cup of wrath. All of these things we know because we have seen, because we have the entire testament and what we begin to see is uh, many times as we gawk at a paralytic man healed we have seen something much greater we have seen this man and we don't have to guess if he is the christ we don't have to subject ourselves to 50 questions and maybe a test to see if he is god But we know that he is because we have seen that he has gone to the cross and that he is dead, buried, resurrected, and ascended. Suddenly for us, this paralytic man, though as as wonderful as it is, should pale in comparison to to seeing Jesus, that is, high and lifted up, truly drawing all men unto themselves, taking away the sin of the world. Not going to take away, but having already done so. And being able to do as what we soon see, forgiving sins. We see the will of God as Jesus is doing just what the Father has told him to do. Again, I want to return now to the crowd. He's lowered through the tiles in the middle of the crowd, the crowd that was obstructing the view of Christ. A crowd who was uh, in many ways keeping this man from christ and i'm reminded that thanks be to god that we do not come on our own terms because we would tarry and we sing it if you tarry till you're better you will never come at all god was so good in this account that the crowd got in the way can you imagine if, if the crowd was anything like even a tenth of what we had seen uh, in John 5 and 6, 5 or 6,000 people, could you imagine Jesus being there teaching and by the time you made your way through 5,000 people, maybe he would be done. Maybe the reason that God didn't allow the man to come through the crowd is because there was not enough time. Maybe it was somehow quicker to go to the roof and take the tiles off and let the man down. Not only that, but can you imagine the attention uh, that would be taken off of the crowd and given to this man coming through a ceiling before the Lord Jesus Christ, and then all of the focus would be uh, upon the Christ, not who you're standing next to uh, or trying to hear what he is saying, but you would be able to see, hear with eyes, and that believing you may have life in his name. All of these things are done uh, not so men could be healed again from temporal infirmities, but that men may be spiritually healed by the cleansing blood of Christ, that sins may be forgiven. The crowd is in the way. Let the church be careful that we not be like this crowd and be in the way of Christ. Matter of fact, the church ought to, amongst her many members that are uh, are pictured here in these men and their friend, many members in one body, we ought to be uh, lining up and and showing the way to Christ. There ought to be a path in the church opening up, pointing the way to Christ, not obstructing the way. We must be very careful. And then we arrive at verse 20. Seeing their faith. Notice that Jesus doesn't say here the count is not recorded as Jesus sees the paralytic men's faith. Jesus does not see simply the men who are carrying him faith they are considered one unit here seeing their faith together working together the will of god all of these men not just the ones carrying the body not just the ones carrying the paralyzed man think about this this very day we don't know it doesn't really say how many just for sake of throwing a number out there we'll say four or five four or five men carrying this paralytic man and they're going to see jesus perform a miracle in so much that they believe that he is the christ and maybe some are saved right now we begin to see who has such a great deal of belief here not only is it the men carrying because they believe that christ can be saved but there's a purpose even in the man being paralyzed that those who are carrying him may seek the christ that they may see his power, that they may see his glory, that they may know that he is the Son of God. Can you imagine if they were supposed to help this day and they got busy and they said, hey, I'm not going to be able to carry that guy tomorrow. Can you, uh, can you just get so-and-so? Can you imagine how upset you would have been that you didn't go and you didn't see the Christ do what he does? What a miracle. God has even selected those who are laboring to do such that they may be increased in their knowledge and faith and belief in him. He is, through great burden and trial and tribulation, causing these men to increase in faith. The crowd is in the way, and yet Jesus simply sees their faith. That's the first thing that we notice. It doesn't say that Jesus first noticed the man was paralyzed. He simply saw their faith. These men have done whatever they could to find themselves before the Christ, to lower this man down because they believed. Where did that come from? It didn't come from their intelligence and it didn't come uh, from their knowledge or experience. It came simply uh, from the Lord, their God, revealing to them and granting to them belief. And as Jesus has seen their faith, It is apparent before him that these men were believing and trusting. He sees it. And what does he do but reply to the one man? Now I want to go back and consider this faith. This faith has not been uh, proven through a bunch of Jesus' miracles. These men haven't just simply got great finances or big plots of land or a large sum of possessions and come to belief they have gone through some great trouble it seems doesn't seem that there has been any reward yet and the church has uh such stained the name of jesus that we call upon him and try to command him some professing believers To do things in order that we may know that he is the Christ. And the reality is that he has already done more than enough. We shouldn't come uh, simply for the benefits of Christ. But to know that we may serve the very God of creation. The agent of God's creation. The man who will uh, serve as mediator for those who believe in him. And the man who will serve as judge. The very God incarnate. And we're reminded through all of this that there are trials in faith, many trials in faith. If you would, uh, turn your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 6 it says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that per- perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is word for word what had happened with these men. Various trials, Tested genuineness of faith, that they may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus, that they, through all of this work and all of the distractions and all of the hindrances, may find themselves before the Christ who is able to heal in this particular passage, but is able to save in every passage, in every circumstance. How about Matthew chapter 13? Look at verse 20. <clears throat> the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky place, this man is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction on persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Here is a parable of seeds that is described amongst much trial, much tribulation about James chapter one, probably one of the the most famous passages about this trial and tribulation and faith. We're going to look at the first uh, four verses there. In James chapter one, he says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes and the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When we consider the various trials, we may understand that these men could have come to this paralyzed friend or acquaintance and said, that's not my problem, that's not my trial. And what we recognize is that uh, the Christian, the believer in Christ, that those who are concerned for the brethren, even for those who are yet to recognize salvation, maybe those who will never be saved, this trial may as well be a trial for us that we may be tested, that we may see the full effect of Christ uh, in the resurrection power that he has in causing us not only uh, to care for one another, but to be burdened for one another, Uh, to not simply, uh, as we read this morning, to not simply be concerned with ourselves or to be condemning of those who have yet to profess the name of Christ. But remember that Stephen was stoned. He was praying that God would forgive the men, the murderous men that were before him. And there was one named Paul even there. He was concerned through his trial and through his affliction. Here's a man losing his life as it is put before us. And he was concerned for the sinner's headed for hell. We see a glimpse of that in these men carrying a paralytic man uh, before this Jesus Christ. They're concerned and what they are finding is that their faith is being tried and tested and that it is being upheld by this person whom they are lowering the man before. It is the very Jesus who is causing them to do these things. It is uh, the man who is God, who is truly man, truly God, fully man, fully God before him. We see it in Isaiah. We see it in Psalms. Again, how many times that uh, faith and trials and tribulation uh, are part of such and in Romans. And then lastly, uh, if you look at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verses uh, 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, whom it was said, through Isaac shall be your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown, refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. What we see is by faith. By faith, by faith, by faith. Over and over again. At which point the text begins to take on a truer, deeper meaning for us. We simply see that all of these things were happening by faith. And we ask the simple question. Where does it come from? Where did this faith come from? The purpose here was not merely that the power of the Lord would be present with Jesus to heal, but it is revealed in the text to follow. Seeing their faith, he says, friend, your sins are forgiven you. The purpose was that <laughs> sin would be forgiven. How was sin forgiven? Was sin forgiven because Jesus healed this man of paralysis? No, sin was forgiven because Jesus was going to the cross. And yea, now he has even gone there. And he has paid the debt. Jesus was able to say your sin is forgiven because he was sure that he would do the will of God. This morning we are to see not that a paralytic man is is simply healed or that in the previous portion of the chapter a leper is cleansed, but we are to see that those who are stained with sin can be cleansed. Jesus can announce it so before, during, and after his death. Why is that? Because he has ascended you look at the actual language in the Greek there it does not uh, say simply that your sins are forgiven you but it says your sins can leave can be no more can cease the reality is Jesus declares that because of his presence sins will be found covered and wiped away. Miraculous consideration. Jesus speaks after seeing the faith of many. His response is to essentially save the one. The worse off, Jesus doesn't save the closest to salvation, the closest to whole. He doesn't heal the finger over the whole body because that would be easy, right? Jesus saves a man who cannot move for he is so deep in sin. Not only is that, but we're now even seeing the reality that many do not want to talk about. That infirmity, in any way that we imagine it, is a result of sin. Whether it be the immediate sin of the person or whether it be a curse of sin from Adam. We don't want to acknowledge sin sin and its part yet jesus says simply all this man needs in order to walk again is not that his body be healed not that uh it be replaced with another body jesus said he needs his sins forgiven the church ought to look at this and say this is what jesus is for not to heal not to simply take away cancer or to make us quit hurting, though he is able to do all of those things with but a breath, the reality is that Jesus is here that we may be forgiven of sins. His purpose was not to draw large crowds, his purpose was not to feed the hungry, to build houses. He's seen here teaching, first of all, the righteousness of Christ, in essence, in verse 20, for the forgiveness of sins. The righteousness of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. To which we see the response of the world. The scribes and Pharisees begin to reason. Saying, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus, aware of this, it says, verse 22, answered them and say, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier, your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, get up and walk? Jesus, even at this point, already performing a great miracle, makes it so well known, his intention here. He says, listen, if you don't understand, I can say that too. But so that you may know that I, the Son of Man, has the authority to forgive sins, he said to him, I say to you, get up. Pick your stretcher and go home. Now the man has seen a spiritual healing from sin and a forgiveness thereof and a temporal healing from paralysis. Take your pick. Jesus is pictured here as being able to do it all, yet the forgiveness of sins is the most miraculous. And the reality is that the crowd would rather see something else. If we come to Jesus for anything other than forgiveness of sins and to glorify God through his person, we have an effect not come at all. We're told here that the man immediately gets up before them, picks up what he had, Uh, what he had been lying on and went home doing the will of God. What does it say there? Glorifying God. What was the purpose? Was the purpose that the crowd would see that Jesus could heal? No. Was the purpose that these men would go through a whole lot of trouble just to see Jesus? No. Here was the purpose. He went home glorifying God. They were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God. Again, the purpose of God through all of Jesus' appearance and ministry on earth was that God would be glorified. To which again, we must ask a question. When we go home, will we be glorifying God? When we leave the church building today, will we be glorifying God? When we go and eat the meal next door, will we be glorifying God? Or are we here because we have to be? Are we here because somebody made us? Are we here simply because the crowd was here and we were intrigued? Did we come because we knew that Jesus was here speaking, that Jesus was here testifying of the goodness of God and that we may be strengthened in faith in order that we may be sustained and continue to glorify the great God of heaven, Lord of all creation, This account will be, no doubt, included until the end of this world in many children's religious books. And we'll talk about many miracles that Jesus performed. And the sad note is that in many proclaiming, professing churches this morning, Jesus' forgiveness of sins will be highly and quite often overlooked. The one thing that we need, Jesus said, hey, I can tell him to get up and walk. This man needs forgiveness of sins. When we tell somebody about Jesus, this is, now this is for us. When we are telling somebody about Jesus, are we telling him what he can offer? That He can fix your marriage, he can uh, make your kids quit sinning. He can do this or He can do that. He can give you things. Or are we simply telling people that this Jesus can forgive sins? And listen, if that was all that He could do, that was more than enough. He went to the cross and says, it is finished. It's finished. The forgiveness of sins. Not only the forgiveness of sins, but it is finished. The perfection of the saints because they will... Uh, take to themselves the righteousness of God imputed to them in Christ, positionally, uh, holy, righteous, experientially, not so much to the death of the body. The reality is that he is accredited not only here as being Jesus, the son of man, but he is Jesus, the son of God, Christ, the Messiah, lamb slain before the foundation of the world because he is able to forgive sins. We sing a song. I say it every week. is the hymn. They always pop up in my mind. He's able. He's able. I know that he is able. He's, know my Lord is able to carry me through. And there's a picture of Christ through faith and through trial and tribulation carrying us through that we may see in reality at the end of the mortal body the truth of the redemption and the forgiveness of sins knowing that these things have been forgotten that they've been forgiven, that they've been covered. And we know it now and we think that it is, uh, as true professing Christians, we think that it is wonderful, but how much wonderful will it be when we're standing in the presence of God with Christ our Savior and there is sin nowhere in sight. We'll say, man, he wasn't lying. It's not here. There's no sin here. You might be looking at me and say, yeah, I ain't believing that. There's no sin. Christ has done it. And for that reason, we may leave today, as the text says, glorifying God. Notice that it doesn't say that they ended with glorifying God, it says they began glorifying God. Today is just the beginning for the true Christian. It is just the beginning of glorifying God. Every time that we recognize His saving power, every time that we recognize another sin is forgiven, that means every time that you take a breath and you sin, you're realizing more today that God is forgiving sin than you recognized yesterday. The more prevalent that sin is that you're able to even see it, the small stuff that you didn't even realize that you were doing that is sin, the more often that it comes to uh, uh, our recognition, the more often we may glorify God. And that we may enjoy him, a Savior who is able to make whole. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you once again, Lord. Uh, Considering the miraculous workings of our Savior Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that it was not in a building. It was not in a synagogue. It was not in a temple. Lord, it was not on the bank of any body of water. Lord, it was not in a field greatest work that our Christ has done is on Calvary's cross. Lord, in willingly giving himself up, a ransom for sinners, a true propitiation, and Lord, that though the saving of man was complete, he even now, Lord, is mediating for us. We may sing this morning, Lord, in this afternoon and even tonight, a wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord. A wonderful Savior is he He has taken upon himself my sin, O God. A great burden in and of itself. Lord, one able to to hold the strongest of men down and to uh, keep them from your glory. But the reality is that not even myself or not even my sin, with just the presence of and the declaration of Christ can keep me from you, O God. In fact, his breath and his word and the faith that he has given bestows upon us the right to become children of God, to partake in his righteousness and his inheritance. And for that, God, we offer to you praise and adoration and love, God, because you have first loved us, because you have loved us so much, not willing that any of your church God, should perish that you would give your only begotten son to take away the sin of the world or to relieve us from those things that not only stain, Lord, but from those things that cause decay and from those things that cause death. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we ask that you would bless the reading of your word, Lord, and that we would meditate upon it as the day goes on. God, that you would bless uh, the meal that we will partake and the fellowship that we have together. In Jesus' name we pray.